How do you possibly cover 10 days worth of news that's loaded with news in 30 minutes? We'll do it next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I am David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight and expertise and geeky numbers, and it's great to be back today. We'll touch on all the news over the last 10 days. Leaf's been amazing. TV deal. THT opted in last night. Impact of that. John Collins is a member of the Utah Jazz. We drafted three players. And we'll look at why I like what we did. It fits some molds of what I think are successful drafts. Uh, And we will do all of that in the next 30 minutes. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. As I mentioned, this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Give you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps and on YouTube. Here's my question for you today on YouTube. What is the biggest news that I missed? Is it the TV deal? Is it THT opting in? Is it the John Collins trade? Is it the three draft picks of the Utah Jazz? Wow. Leaf Tulane was amazing. Absolutely amazing work by Leaf Tulane. Uh, I actually really, I was in Scotland with my daughter on a golf graduation trip. And I actually tuned in and listened to Locked on Jazz every day. Uh, thanks to all the guys who came on as guests as well, Tony and Andy. Um, really, I thought uh, it was great, and I loved being up to date with it and everything. All right, let's just, we got to delve right in today. So first, the TV deal. It's incredible. Ryan Smith is just committed, absolutely committed to making sure that the fan experience is great. He fundamentally believes that if you can have an elite level fan experience, that then the fandom follows that positive things follow the user experience is great and positive things happen after that. And, and this new TV deal is the essence of that. I'm excited to see what the new content's going to be, the exclusive content, some other things are doing um, and what Smith entertainment groups, TV group puts together uh, by, by Ryan, uh, which hopefully, you know, may involve an NHL franchise at some point, obviously already own has the soccer franchise. So I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, he, Ryan's just pushing us into new realms. It was interesting. I was with a, a group in, uh, the, it was called the Friendship Cup, Mike, uh, Mark Levitt, uh, Mike Levitt's brother out of uh, Cedar City, kind of has organized and built this things with the Scots. It's really cool. I'll tell you guys more about it on day we don't have as much news. But it was interesting. Kind of the number one question I got was like, what's Ryan Smith's ownership uh, been like and what's it like? And I'm like, it's awesome. Uh, so. It was really, I was, you know, this is a tip of that. I never thought the day would come where, where we would do this again. I really didn't. Um, and I, it's a trip tip of the hat to that. Um, and then I'm super interesting to watch what the streaming services are. Cause frankly, I don't, uh, as of right now, I don't have bunny ears and I don't get K jazz cause K jazz doesn't stream and I'm on, uh, YouTube TV and direct TV stream. So I'm still waiting for the next shoe to drop personally, but, uh, everything so far, I mean, just the fact that we're at that stage is amazing. All right, let's get, so let's move to the next one. I mean, we are flying today. Uh, I'm going to try to get in depth in the midst of just flying. You don't, uh, Leaf has done such an amazing job. If I just do a brief overview, I'll let you down today. Uh, so t- last night, Taylor Horton Tucker opted in. I- I'm a little surprised, actually. Uh, but 
this new CBA is driving things in a very different manner than what we've seen. And that is just, there's not a lot of cap space out there right now, right? The Jazz used a bunch of their cap space for John Collins. Oklahoma City used a bunch of their cap space taking Davis Bertans to move in the draft. We're seeing teams eat up their space um, and and not necessarily do it through free agency. And I think Taylor might have found himself on the wrong side of free agency. And he also is just a really good opportunity in Utah. He's still at an opportunity stage. Remember, he's younger than Ochai Abaji. Like, I think this is a really interesting one. We think of Ochai Abaji as this, as young, you know, this young player that we have in his second year, and, and we got to make sure we clear a bunch of room for development. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker is the exact same age. I mean, it's an interesting question, actually, of like, which of those two showed more last year for a bright future? Taylor or Ochai Abaji? And you don't have to have either or. They're not positioned in that manner. But it's still, I think, if you think about them as the exact same age, which they are, you know, which one of those has a bigger upside? It, it You know, Taylor probably has some, some – it's interesting. He's so powerful and so explosive. And at the same time, I think could probably slim down a little bit. And you wonder if he slims down, does he lose some of that, that power? Because if he gets his shoulder by you, he's killing you. He's got to become a better rim finisher. But there are a bunch of aspects in his game – um, and he's got to become a better shooter, right? Though Ochai, when we ex- ex- increased his load at the end of the year, was not as good a shooter as he was early, uh, and or middle, because remember, early he was really bad, then middle. Um, so it's interesting to me, at least, that um, I don't know. I think that I, I don't think that's completely cut and dry that Ochai Abaji is 100% the better prospect than Taylor Horton Tucker at this point in their careers. And they're the you know virtually the same age. Actually, Taylor's younger. Um, so it's great. I think another, you know, another player on the timeline growing with the Jazz, showing a lot of prospect and the Jazz get him for another year um, is good. The other thing that's good about this, frankly, from a maneuvering standpoint, is what the Jazz are beginning to do is get a bunch of tradable contracts. Right. And, you know, if Taylor Horton, if if Jordan Clarkson moves in free agency, I thought Ben Anderson pointed out Walker Kessel will have the longest tenure of any Jazz player. It's crazy. Uh, tip of the hat to Ben Anderson. He did great work during the draft. Uh, and I, I think that when you when you start realizing how much player movement and Danny's willingness to pl- move and Justin Zanuck's willing to move players. So now all of a sudden, like Colin Saxton has a movable contract. Taylor Horton Tucker has a movable contract. John Collins has a movable contract. Like these become pieces. Um, and we'll see with uh, 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 today's the day on Kelly Olenek. It's a little bit of a, um, of a quagmire's too strong a word, kind of, you know, a logjam of players at that position now. But I still expect the Jazz to, to maybe pick up the Kelly Olenek option and uh, partially for because of the new CBA, which we'll get into here in a second. And then secondarily, um, because he's good and he's a ball mover. And then third is it's just another tradable contract. Uh, all right. The Jazz got John Collins and the new CBA. I'll have to do a really boring episode at some point about the new CBA. But the new CBA has two features in it that are really important to understand. And one is this idea of this second apron. And the second, it it is punitive to be under the first apron in the NBA right now. It is incredibly restrictive to be over the second apron. In fact, the NBA won't love me saying this, but the second apron gets to be a pretty close. And the second apron is if you're $17 million above the tax. It gets pretty close to a hard tax. 
uh, are hard cap. You can't aggregate salaries and trades. You lose certain tr- tax level exceptions. You can't send out things in trades. You can't sign players who have been signed trade. Your draft picks get frozen. Like, there's craziness that happens if you're over that second apron at $17 million. The, the first apron, which is kind of 7 to $8 million above the tax, is a little less onerous than it used to be. So they're kind of the what the league's done in this collective bargaining agreement is like if you're a little bit over the tax, we're okay. And but if you're way over the tax, it's 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 incredibly difficult. If you're a Peter, you get crushed. The second thing the league's done is, oh, by the way, it is no longer advantageous to you to have a low salary. In fact, you have to you have to have to have 90 percent of the salary cap spent by opening day. It used to be by the trade deadline or other things, or you'd extend people right at the la- It was actually by July 1st. So you'd extend people late in the year and give them a big signing bonus to get this done. It is now at the start of the season. There may be a whole new trade movement right before the start of the season with teams moving to get this. So if you are not at 90% of the salary cap, you have to pay the difference up to 90% to the league that gets distributed. And most importantly, you get no tax distribution from the teams that are over this tax, which that, that can be 10, 15, 20 million dollars of just cash that you get as a team. So teams have to get to 90 percent of the minimum salary now of, of this or 90 percent of the salary of the tax. So the this is the jazz have to do that, too. So John Collins for free is a little bit of a product of this. John Collins for free is that the. Atlanta was pushing toward the second apron, had to come off the that and had to get out of the tax. Overall, the owner just gave him an edict. You have to do it. Like, you've got to get away from the second apron and you've got to get off the tax. The second thing is the Jazz have to get to 90% of the salary cap or else they lose the tax distribution, which is massive. Like, that's a business issue that's massive. And so in the new collective bargaining agreement, and this allows then, and you're going to see Oklahoma City takes Davis Bertans on the same thing. You are going to see this happening now time and time again in the league where someone's got to get off a player and somebody else takes the player and it's like a win-win because basically it's for free. Um, it, it does mean, by the way, this whole idea you used to go get first-round draft picks for taking salary might be out the window because teams have to take salary. So in other words, like Oklahoma City or Utah or San Antonio's had a, like could be sitting there with well under the 90%. And they used to be able to say, well, I want a first-round draft pick if I'm going to take Russell Westbrook's contract or something of that sort, which is kind of what we did. Now, I don't think you're getting that anymore because the team's going to say, okay, if you don't do this, it's going to cost you $15 million of tax distributions or $20 million of tax distributions. It's going to cost us a lot too, and you're just going to decide to swap the player into a spot under the cap to be able to get it there. And this is also going to have a massive impact on competition. That is close to a hard cap, and it is also going to force teams to be good. You you are just, it's going to be very difficult for you to be awful. All right, John Collins, what did the Jazz get? Why has he been such an enigma? I called around the league on that, and I'll give you that, and then we'll talk about our draft picks as well coming up here on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Intercap Lending. That's Steve Carter, the single best guy out there. Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer at Intercap Lending. Intercap Lending is hyper-flexible. They get the job done. They've been growing uh, fabulously. Why? Because they closed the deal. Steve Carter is the single best customer service person I have ever dealt with in my entire life. And it's such a pleasure for me to send you to Steve Carter. So if you're looking for a loan right now and you're trying to get something done, you need to be a little bit more creative. I had something recently where I was calling Steve to, to find out things and see what I we could do on it. 
Uh, and he was just great. Walked me through all my different options. Thought my route that I was taking was the right one. And he bypassed some business, frankly. He could have. Uh, it's just unbelievable. So call Steve Carter at 385-885-28 or email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. And I'll get you set up with Steve Carter. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at eBay Motors. I just pause for a second because when I think of eBay Motors, I think of the absolutely fabulous checkmark because you get the right parts, the right fit, the right prices at eBay Motors. And what makes eBay Motors so great is they're going to make sure that you, I mean, when you go to eBay Motors, they have over 122 million parts to choose from. So it seems like it's cumbersome, but it's not. Because you go into my garage and you get the green check mark to know what will fit. And then once you've got the green check mark on everything, you know it fits or you get your money back. So just like sports, confidence is the name of the game. And when you buy on eBay Motors, despite 122 million parts, it tells you this. You'll know everything's there that you can get. And with a green check mark, you know it's going to fit right. So you win because you bring home a win with right parts guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride eBay. Guaranteed fit. Only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items. Exclusions do apply. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, Locked on NBA Big Board is there for you. Tomorrow, Leaf Tulane's going to be back because I'm actually traveling. Still haven't gotten home yet. Uh, but there was just so much news. I felt like I needed to jump in. And then Friday, I should be back at it. So, um, And then I'll be back until about the 10th of July. And then Leaf will take back over um, for a little while. So uh, I hope you guys are enjoying. I think Leaf's done a great job. And such a big offseason for the Jazz. I didn't want to leave us just kind of with nothing. Um, and I just, there was so much news. I didn't want to keep out shows. So, that, all right. So John Collins, probably 26 years old. First thing is just right on the right timeline with, with, with a bunch of our guys. And certainly he's overpaid at this point for his production of last year. Uh, but he did still play 30 minutes a night on an NBA playoff team. Like he's like definitely what, what really happened, by the way, is he jumped from taking 27% of his shots as threes to 34% of his shots as threes. And he stopped making them. He then, in turn, by the way, stopped making some of his twos, but he's a pretty good kind of mid-range player, around-the-basket player, uh, was a very good post-up player last year, 1.07 points on post-ups, um, 1.06 points on screener. Um, so the real thing that saw that when I looked into John Collins' numbers and then I called around the league is his three-point shooting dips. Um, there's no signs of physical decline. He's an incredible leaper. He gets over a basket. He's got a 40-inch vertical jump. Like, he's crazy athletic, runs the floor beautifully, little tied up laterally, um, and had a really bad defensive numbers last year. He might have just been checked out of all the drama in Atlanta with Nate and then with Quinn um, and all the times he's been offered to be traded. Uh, but there is, there is, this is the challenge for Will Hardy, talking around the league. So John Collins is really ultimate tweener. This is what coaches around the league told me in the last 20, 48 hours. So at 6'9", he... He's really a great role guy. He's, he can play off the – he's a good screen and roll guy. He was super with Trey Young. He can get up high. He's great on the lob. He is a vertical threat at the rim despite being 6'9". He can pop it a little bit. Super pick and roll player, which means he's got to play the five. When he's playing the – and that's what he actually did. Uh, his year he averaged 20 and 10. He played a lot of time at the five uh, on a not very good team. 
However, at 6'9", he's in not a not in, in a 6'10 or 6'11 wingspan, um, he's he's not a very good rim protector or a very good defensive center. So that now all of a sudden you have this kind of quandary of what are you doing with him? Are you if you play him at the center and you're playing small, he's not great. It's not great defensively. So you're like, all right, we'll, we'll play him at the four where he's better defensively and he fits better. But then he's not able to set <clears throat> run the pick and roll where he's at his best rolling to the basket, getting the switch on the smaller guys in the post is kind of your choice at that point. And he's a pretty good post-up player, but it's not as good. And he he actually becomes a stretch for, and then he's not making his shots. He's not a great shooter. And so you, people leave him open and clog your system up. So he's a little bit of like he's a he's an offensive five and a defensive four, and he's kind of just the ultimate tweener. And this is going to be Will Hardy's challenge. Like, how do you tap into his superpower like Will talks about, which is his incredible athleticism, his ability to rim roll, um, and some of those things, and still be able to not have him any of his weaknesses be exposed on the other side. That's what Atlanta began to struggle to be able to do uh, with John Collins. His best year, his best statistical year, he played center. Eh, he's probably not doing that. What's interesting about us is can you cover up? Maybe he does play the offensive center or Will runs a bunch of off-ball screens with Walker, Kessler, or things like that to get people switched on to John Collins. And then Collins brings the center out and then he's playing. And it, is it, you know, can you still do that and not have it be too clogged up? And spacing will be vital with him and Walker. Um, and Lowry, you've got great length. Maybe you can cover up some of the defensive uh, weaknesses because of the fact that he's able, he will be, um, uh, He'll be on the floor with longer guys. Like, you're just going to have to figure this out. But that's really kind of the story. I think John Collins is an enigma. Like, he peeks out on my numbers. He looks great. He's got super high shooting percentages. And then, like, Atlanta clearly was like, eh. And it's like, why? Like, what was it that he was missing for him in Atlanta? And the answer that I really got from him was just, a, just the ultimate tweener. All right, let's talk about our draft picks. We're just flying today. Hopefully, you're enjoying taking all this in. Let me just review my draft philosophy that you've heard from me a lot. But let's let's just talk about players when you draft them that I like. So I want players with multiple comps. And specifically, I want players whose basements are pretty high. Like, that's my personal thing. When you're drafting, like, if you go draft a guy and say, oh, well, he's the next Andre Miller. Okay, well, there's only been one Andre Miller. If you're not Andre Miller, you're Kendall Marshall. You're out of the league. We got a problem. Oh, he's the next Charles Barkley. Yeah, then he's Gary Trent. Like, you better have multiple comps. You look at these guys, 6'9", 2'10", 7-foot wingspan, and runs like the wind. Million comps. And they all survive in the NBA. Taylor Hendricks' worst-case scenario is Robert Covington. Pretty good player. Pretty good player. Keontae George. 6-4, ball handler, million of them. High, like, Leaf likes to talk about Jamal Murray. That's pretty optimistic and would be amazing. To me, worst case scenario, Jared Bayless. It's a good NBA player. Okay? Bryce Sensabaugh, 6-6, six, six, ball handler, can score. There's a lot of those in this league. That's great. Worst case, I'm not. I don't. I'm not sure on it. The Sensabaugh's got an interesting case where high volume 
college players usually struggle really badly in the NBA other than Steph Curry because they can't assimilate with their teammates. And so that's going to be his challenge. Um, but like we've had, I mean, Cam Thomas is the most recent reference on him. The kid out of Auburn who scored a bunch of points at Brooklyn uh, this last year. But that's number one. Multiple, multiple comps. Like these guys' body and everything about them, like, like if you're going like Scoot Henderson, which I think is fine, he better be super incredible because his comp is like Donovan Mitchell. And then his next comp at 6'1 gets to be like, eh, like if you're 6'1. But when you're 6'4, 6'6, or 6'9, and you have the bodies these guys have, now Sensabaugh's a little bigger and wider, but Sensabaugh drops like 10 pounds. He's DeAndre Hunter. And there's a million DeAndre Hunters in the world, right? Like, Taylor Hendricks is Jaden McDaniels. Like, just like that. In Minnesota, he's a pretty darn good player. The second thing, and this is where Leaf and I are super different, because, like, a bunch of the players I listen to that Leaf loves, I didn't like. You have to shoot. You have to shoot. Like, we can talk about all these other things about you, and you do all these other things, and this and that, and, like, like everyone loved Jarese Walker. I, like, I don't think he's going to be able to shoot. Like, I, I mean, very stretch it out. Like, I, maybe I'm wrong. Like, I could be, like, Anthony Black, super concerned about him. I'm not sure he's going to be able to shoot. Like, if you can't shoot, you're Michael Carter-Williams. Which was cute. He won Rookie of the Year on a really bad team, but then it didn't really pan out. Like, these guys can all shoot. Sensabaugh's the best shooter in the draft, arguably. Like, if you go look at the numbers with off the bounce and catch and shoot, like, great dicks a little bit better, but not many guys. Keontae George shot terribly in the last 15 games of the season. And we'll talk about him in a minute because I think it's really interesting. He shot 34% from the floor and 30% from three. That's a little concerning. He was playing on a sprained ankle. There were, I think there were some issues at Baylor we'll talk about in a second. But he generally can shoot it. And Leaf has talked about how he's been on his pro day and saw him shoot it. And Taylor Hendricks can just flat shoot it. So that's the second one. I want shoot it. I have three other things that I want out of draft picks. I'll touch on those next and continue with you on uh, some more specifics on Hendricks, Keontae George, and Bryce Sensabaugh as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Thanks so much for tuning back in. It's just a great pleasure to be back with you. I'm in, actually in St. Louis. My daughter's playing a golf tournament out here. Um, Leaf will be back with you tomorrow. I'll be back with you Friday. And then uh, free agency hits on Friday. So I'll be and I'll be with you all next week um, and carrying through until about the 9th of July. So we'll carry you through for the next little while. And you're probably going to miss Leaf. Uh, YouTube conversation going on, which was the biggest news story that I missed. TV deal, THT opting in, John Collins trade or the draft picks. The so multiple cops shooting multiple skills. This one's interesting to me. It used to be, Gordon Chase used to say to me, you, you have to look at a player and have something where you look at him and you say, oh, beep. Like, oh, crap, he's that good. Oh, beep. Like the opposing team preparing for a player has to say, oh, beep. I actually think that's changed now. Now I think that's, and this is, is multiple skills. Um, And I think this will actually be the biggest question for all three of these guys. So Taylor Hendricks does not have a very good bounce game right now. Does not have a dribble game. He has a play, which we talked about in the episode we did a while back, which was like at nine, should we take Taylor Hendricks? Um, where he gets guarded by Dries Walker, who's supposed to be this amazing defensive player, and he swings through, takes a bounce, gets on the rack and packs it. It's beautiful. It's from like 11 feet out on the left side, maybe 12 feet out. It's beautiful, beautiful play. 
And it's like, oh, wow, that's NBA, and you get super excited about it. But if he has to take a second or third dribble, he doesn't have it yet. So right now, offensively, he does not have multiple skills. He has shooting, and he has his defensive prowess. So that's multiple skills. You can put him on the floor for multiple things. That's good. But he needs that next one offensive. Keontae George has a great wiggle. Boom. Like, with the handle, wiggle, move, bunch of things of that nature um, that I think are his skill. And then whether he can create the separation offensively to get his shots, the Arkansas game, he's great to finish. Leaf talked about it the other day. Um, but on the other end, his first three shots that day are blocked, which is was concerning to me, or three of his first four. Um, so he's still got some things to do in that regard. And then defensively, we'll see where we are. And then Sensabaugh, I think, actually has the whole package and multiple skills offensively. He just has to adapt to not being the man. So multiple skills. The next one is they just got to play hard. Hendricks played really hard. Keontae George in the game that I watched, I thought was wavering a little bit of whether he was playing hard or not. And Sensabaugh, I thought, played really hard. Like, that's a skill. You just have, and you have to have it. Like, if you don't play hard, you don't survive. You don't shoot, you don't play hard, you can't survive in the league. And the last one that I think is most important to all these guys, and it a little bit goes back to the multiple comps thing, is you have to have multiple routes by which you can play. So the exact, the opposite is this, if you draft just the point guard or just the center. Like, they don't have multiple routes to play. And, like, you think of Adok Azabuke, who knows what would have happened if he stayed healthy. But he was behind Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. There was, like, no route for him to play. It was super hard for him. He couldn't play. Taylor Hendricks can play four. He can play five. And he might eventually be able to play three. Bryce Sensabaugh can probably play two and three. And if he learns to defend at 6'6", six, six, he probably could play a small ball four. It's a great shooter. Keontae George can play a one, a two, and he had to play a three at Baylor, as Leaf talked about. Like, there's multiple ways these guys can play. I saw somebody breaking down the minutes for our team next year, and, like, it was interesting. Like, they had Hendricks playing, you know, 15 minutes here and 16 minutes here, and they had George playing 10 minutes here and 12 minutes there. Like, that's vital for draft success. Multiple routes by which you can play. So multiple comps, got to be able to shoot, got to have multiple skills, got to play hard, and got to have multiple routes to play. We're pretty, like... Multiple cops, knock it out of the park. Shooting, knock it out of the park. Multiple skills, this is going to be the key to development. That's why they didn't go, you know, that's why one of them was taking it 16, the other taking it 29. Play hard. Okay, let's see it. Like, that's going to be it. They, and that's high character, and they all seem to be that. The words on Keontae George's personality, character, things like that are through the roof from the phone calls I've made. Um, and then roles to routes to play. And that's team-centric, but you have to have it to have job success. Let me talk about each little guy, each guy for a little bit. Um, and you've heard, if you've been listening this week, you've, you've heard more than I can give you. Um, one of the things I talk about a lot when watch guys is I want them to jump off the screen. Hendricks jumps off the screen. When he runs, it's incredible. Like, you just don't have a body that moves like that. It's awesome. I think if you go back to listen to the episode I did about two weeks ago about Taylor Hendricks at nine, um, before I fell in love with Kobe Bufkin, um, was... Like, I think my first comment is a guy runs like that, you draft him. Like, you do. You just draft him. You add in the fact that he can shoot, he can protect the rim. Let me say this about the rim protection. I want to see, I'm not totally sold on this, on a college basketball to a pro basketball player. And I know block shots and seals usually follow. But when you watch a college game, like Jareese Walker and Taylor Hendricks, I felt this way about both of them. They're like within eight feet of the basket all the time. So when they're making this quick play to then be secondary rim defender and have this great block shot, the sign of brilliant NBA level athleticism. But in the NBA, you've got to make that play from 20 feet. 
because you're spread out and spaced. And you really have to understand the game and what's taking place for you to be able to make that move play from 20 feet out. And I thought when I watched Hendricks, the one thing I thought a little bit on Hendricks was the fact that I didn't think he had an awesome understanding of the game. Feel is probably not the right word. I thought he looked 19. Like offensively, I thought a lot of times he moved into guys' space and didn't space correctly. That could have been Johnny Dawkins coaching. Um, that also could be his just like lack of quite understanding of where what the instinct is to go. And I thought on defense, he's unbelievable, but it was hard for me to tell whether he was just like reacting to the ball or reacting to the play. And I thought he was reacting to the ball a little bit more than he was reacting to the play. Keontae George to me is super interesting because sometimes I think the last place you should be evaluating these players is college. And the thing about Keontae George that's so kind of awesome is if you go back and look at his U18 and U19s, I think even a U23, like he's the best player on every team. He's the best player on those USA teams. He's killing people. And he's the one making the plays. He's the one they go to late on a bunch of these things. He's the one that can create a shot. He does have a super wiggle. Um, and, and then he goes to Baylor, and he opens the year kind of kicking ass. And by the end of the year, he's not. And I don't know this, but I was told very early in the draft process, I mean, like super early in the draft prospect, prospect, I was talking to someone about players, and he said to me, you know, like there's guys like Keontae George. This is what they told me who, like, have problems in their roster where the veterans aren't really willing to let him become the man, and it becomes really hard for them, and you've got to understand that. I think there might have been some internal stuff at Baylor last year that part of the sprained ankle is certainly part of his 34% shooting and 30% from three to close the year. But as Leaf points out, he's playing three out of position, and I think there was some locker room reluctance to letting that team become Keontae George's team. And the only reason I think that is because I was told that. Like, I didn't follow Baylor. But I was told that kind of an offhand, like, you hold a million conversations just to get little nuggets. And I can know exactly where I was standing on that day when I got that nugget. It was outside my gym. I got a phone call from someone. I had to take it. I stopped the workout. I went outside. I took the call. I know exactly where I was standing when I had that conversation. It was like this little nugget. And you're like, oh, I'll put that in the back of my head. And now it turns out to be super valuable because of the fact that we have Keontae George on the roster. Um. On Bryce Sensabaugh. So he was one of our numbers guys. He's one of our numbers guys. And I think, I have to look it back up, but I believe we drafted like number four, number six, and number 12 on Kevin Pelton's numbers board, which I like. Um, he's had great success with that. Um, Sensabaugh, I kind of love him. Um, like, Honestly, if like Hendricks was nine and Sensabaugh was 16 and George was 28, like I would just be talking about Sensabaugh with so much excitement. But because the fact he went 28, like you temper it a little bit because 28 picks like, eh, well, it could be Desmond Bain. Um, obviously, there's a knee issue that's been talked about a little bit. Two meniscus. I think he missed his junior year in high school because of the meniscus. So maybe that's why he slipped. And then from our standpoint, that you just have to manage that. And it's great. There is a little concern on the fact that he has to figure out how to play with teammates, which he didn't do a great deal of at Ohio State. But he's like him. He And he's got one move. He goes right to get left. It's awesome, though. It's awesome from three. It's awesome in the mid-range. I think he shot 52% on pull-up mid-range jumpers and 44% on catch-and-shoot threes. It's great. Like, that's bona fide, big-time offensive numbers. I thought Leaf made a great point. He's going to kill Summer League. He could be the real star of Summer League. That was a great point by Leaf on the show. See, I've listened. Um, 
I really like him. Um, I like bucket getters. I like putting the ball in the hole. Like, I like guys that can shoot. Like, I think Sensabaugh could work his way into the, like, playing. The last thing I'd say on all these guys, they're all 19. Right? Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensabaugh were AAU teammates. Keontae George, they're 19. I know we want to thrust them out there right away. But 19-year-olds really struggle in the NBA. And I do believe you can really overplay them. So the next week for the Jazz, I think, is really important because it's super important that we're not forced to play some of these guys. I know we want to see them. We're desperate to see them. They're the future. We're most excited about them. They're the players you want to see. But from a long-term standpoint, we have to make sure that Will Hardy has the ability to choose when and where to play them, and he's not forced to play them. They managed Walker Kessler and Ochai Abaji perfectly last year. And frankly, Ochai we pushed well beyond his limits and probably are glad the season ended. Like, I'm not sure Ochai could have done that for much longer. That's what you have to avoid. He learned a lot from it, and we hit the right amount of time of it, and you just didn't want it going much further. So, really, um, I mean, I, I I really like the three picks. Like, I think, you know, hey, Kobe Buffkin going to pick, for me personally, Kobe Buffkin going to pick before us was like, oh! And there was a late guy in the, there was somebody late in that first round um, that I kind of was eyeing as well. Like, it was a funny emotional night for me because um, the I actually watched it the next morning in Scotland and, um, and was did not know the results, so I I had the full draft experience. And when Taylor Hend when things when Cam Whitmore started sliding and Taylor Hendricks was there, like I nine we got to nine, I was pr- pretty excited. We had Taylor Hendricks, we had Casey Wallace, and we had Kobe Buffkin on the board. I was like, okay, any three of those I'm super excited about. And we took Taylor Hendricks; it was awesome. And then I'm watching through sixteen, and um, Jed Howard goes, and I'm like, Jed Howard goes, like the math could work out here. That with one pick, one one thing Kobe Buffkin gets here, and then Quinn Snyder goes and drafts Kobe Buffkin at 16, and I'm like super bummed. And then we get Keontae George, and like I, Keontae George, there's, I we just went through him. Like he was the best player there for a long time, <clears throat> and then, oh, Nick Smith is dropping, at and I'm beginning to wonder whether or not there's a Nick Smith move. But I'm also see that Bryce Sensabaugh's dropping, and pretty excited about those two. And then Nick Smith goes, and we get Bryce Sensabaugh, and it was great. Um, so written Dreek Whitehead went super early who I was curious about, um, when he went 22nd. So, um, and it was interesting to kind of watch the draft also. Like, I think if you go back to some of the draft analysis that we did, like on Leonard Miller and I was like, I just don't see him as being fluid. Like he ends up slipping in the draft. So interesting. All right. I can keep going. Um, Leaf will be with you tomorrow as I travel back into town. I'll be back with you. Uh, on Friday. It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks so much for tuning in. Great conversation on the YouTube. And uh, for your next listen, go listen to Locked on NBA Big Board.